Welcome to Lifestyle Solopreneur, the community for entrepreneurs who put lifestyle first. Join your host, Flavia Barris, as she interviews successful lifestyle solopreneurs and shares ideas to help you find the perfect balance between lifestyle, business, and self. Flavia is an attorney, marketing expert, and founder of several online academies. She's been featured in major media, including BBC World News, The Wall Street Journal, The New York Post, ESPN Television, and more. Join us for this episode of Lifestyle Solopreneur. Lifestyle Solopreneurs. Today we get to speak with Jim Shields. He is a full-time real estate investor for over 22 years, completing over 2,000 acquisitions and rehabs. After his start in Bakersfield, California, he came to Florida to follow the long-term growth patterns that he was seeing predicted for the southeastern United States. Post-2008, his company Jack's Wealth Investments focused on bulk foreclosure acquisitions for several years until creating a joint venture with Carter and Chris Funk to focus on the emerging build-to-rent model. In 2022, after over $300 million in deals together, Jim came on as a full partner in SI Homes. His own real estate investments have allowed him to travel the world with his beautiful wife and five children. In addition to real estate, Jim is co-founder of the company 18 Summers and number one Wall Street Journal bestselling author of the popular book, the family board meeting. His family talks have been delivered on stages worldwide. We are so lucky to have him on the show today. Welcome to this episode, Jim. Thanks, Flavia. Good to be here. So good to have you here. And it's one of those, you know, fun things where I have heard of you, you know, long before we sort of reached out and and connected to have you on the podcast. So, you know, your book is very well known. The family board meeting, love that. We're going to talk about that a bit. And I've also heard of 18 Summers, so I can't wait to share all of that, you know, with the audience and all of us listeners. So tell us a little bit about your story, your journey. Uh, Obviously, you've done a lot of different things. Give us some of those highlights on what brought you to where you are today. Yeah, I grew up in, in the Northeast in North Jersey and did not come from money, but I wanted to have money and not really for fancy things, but be able to do all the things I dreamed of doing as a kid and we could never afford to do. Uh, and fast forward, post-college, I really got serious about what did I want to get into? What did I want to learn? You know, What was the path that I could take to be able to buy back my time so I could have time for the important things, things that my parents never seemed to be able to do and things that I'd always dreamed of doing and yet had not done. I kept coming back to real estate, Flavia, and I know you're in real estate as well. I like the tangibility. I was not a stock guy. And even though I grew up just half an hour from Wall Street, it just, I didn't like the atmosphere. I just didn't like the feel of things. And so I kept coming back to real estate. And I read a quote that seven out of 10 millionaires in the US made their money in real estate. And I thought, okay, there's something that's tangible here, something that I seem to enjoy. And there's pretty good odds of becoming a millionaire if I really focus on it. And that's where my beginnings began with with one property in Lompoc, California, almost 25 years ago, just shy of 25 years ago. And Flavia, the day I made that offer and my agent called me back the next day and it got accepted, a three-family home for $152,000, I hyperventilated in my kitchen. I was absolutely terrified. Uh, But I got my through my first deal. And then I started to slowly buy, fix, and resell 
other fixer uppers. And then I created a business out of it and then saw some writing on the wall in California and left for Florida, which I thought had greener pastures for landlord laws and cheaper pricing and did more foreclosures, especially after the 08. But after 2015, around 2014, 15, the deals weren't there anymore. And we had built up a pretty successful business buying and rehabbing bulk foreclosures for myself and for investors we worked with. But my now partner, my building partner came to me in about 2014, 15 and said, hey, what if we build our own properties instead of you know, fixing up old ones? And hence was born the saying, build to rent, building properties specifically as rental properties. And these are single families, duplexes and quads. Um, and that is my main focus in real estate today, uh, to be able to supply those for myself. And we work with nearly a thousand investors putting together rental portfolios where we take on the headaches. The new construction takes a lot of risk out of the game for us and our investors. And this model, unlike my old models, did not bankrupt my time. You know, sitting here today, I'm, I'm at my home in Costa Rica that I work from about three to four months out of the year. And that's what I try to encourage with people that are going into real estate investing. It should buy back your time. It should not create a second or third job if you're doing it right. And that's one of my major goals is to make sure, you know, people figure out the way to get that financial stability without creating a second or third job. And hopefully they're able to create all the family memories they probably dreamed of as a kid like I did, but could never do. Well, and I love that all the politicians, lawmakers, everybody's crying out, there's not enough housing, there's not enough housing. And you're literally building these homes and increasing the housing stock. You know, you're taking a plot of land where nothing was there, maybe a commercial building, something else, and you're building homes for people. And I, I you know, that's very worthy in so many ways, but also creates a great lifestyle for the investors and for the people involved on the sort of landlord side and owner side. Yeah. So who are your sort of your typical, when you think of like that end customer, that end client, are you building these homes and then selling them to investor landlords who will purchase them and then be more of a passive landlord? Or tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that that's exactly our uh, avatar clients. You know, it's someone who's done well in their career. They might be a, a successful broker, uh, real estate broker in California. Uh, they might be a, a dentist or a doctor or own a, a small business that has done well and they want to get real estate into their overall wealth strategy, but it's just not their focus or their backyard. The numbers don't work. For example, I'm thinking of a few mortgage lenders who had done really well and business owners out of Salt Lake City. Salt Lake used to be affordable and that's gone away. So they came to us for the affordability, the cash flow. They had owned old houses before. They liked the enticement of new construction because there's much less headaches, maintenance and repairs, less turnover, better growth and resaleability. And we try to take all the headaches out from them that we can. Now you're owning property, Flavia. So of course we cannot mitigate all risks, but we can minimize a lot of them by how, how we build, where we build, the management we put into place. Again, we did property management before we ever started building. So that was more of our forte. So we bring that all in. And our average person, again, they don't want to be heavily involved. They want to be exposed to real estate in a positive way, but they want us to do the heavy lifting. And really their job as they build their portfolio is to step in for 20 to 30 minutes a month, review their portfolio statements and stay in touch with us with their portfolio manager. 
Uh, but we try to take so much of the heavy lifting off of their plate with our model. And we've had great success too. And that, that's why we continue to grow. You've probably just blown a lot of people's minds who are thinking, wait, 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 I can live in, you know, Seattle, but own property in Florida as an investment. <sighs> Mind blown. Because not everybody realizes that real estate is one of those investments where you don't have to be driving distance from where your investment sits. And you can do business cross, you know, border state to state. So tell us a little bit about why you love focusing on the area that you are in, in Florida. Yeah, Florida has been great. And just, just you hit something really important there. And that's getting out of your backyard, Flavia. And at first, people don't think that you should drive out of your backyard. And then they think you shouldn't take a plane out of your backyard. But let me tell you, when I first started this journey 24 years ago, I was living in Santa Barbara, California, really beautiful area, right? But the median price of a home was about $895,000. This is 24 years ago. You drive two hours inland to Bakersfield, California, where I really started my career. The median value was $91,000. We're talking a whole less zero to be able to start getting into properties. That was just with a two-hour drive. Now, when Bakersfield went way up in value, you know, to 2004, 2005, the fact I was willing to get on a plane and go to Jacksonville, Florida was a total game changer. And now the good news is with services like ours, you don't have to do that. We can do it for you. But we look for certain things, Flavia, in the markets we go into. First off, you know, you're thinking Florida, oh, you must be invested in Miami and Tampa and in Orlando. Nope, not at all. And the reason why is, our job is to find places that are poised for growth and are cash flowing today. Those areas are overpriced, in my opinion, right now. And there's other areas that have great rental rates, great buy-in prices, great desirability, solid areas, great economics. The population is, is really pressing upwards in those areas. And that's where we focus in. You know, Jacksonville is one example. When I left Bakersfield, California in 2004, I went to Jacksonville, Florida. At the time, it was the most affordable, large-scale coastal city in the nation by far. And I mean, you know, being in the beautiful area you are, Flavia, the words affordable and coastal city don't normally go together. So it was a very unique opportunity from what I saw to really dig in and buy properties there, which I did, and so did my partner. And we continue to build in that market along with about 12 other markets. And again, these would be considered second-tier markets in Florida but all of them are experiencing population growth, economic growth. They have a good affordability index. And the affordability index is super important for people to remember. That's when the average family income is a good ratio to the average median price of a home in that area. And our areas have really healthy affordability indexes compared to especially areas like where I came from in New York or Seattle, like you named. And then something desirable and good, healthy supply and demand. Being builders, we want to go where there's you know, a need for housing and they're short on housing. And these second tier markets have just that. And so for you, your own philosophy, you used to do rehab, which, you know, for anyone listening who's not in the world of real estate, basically you would take houses where people would walk in and go, ew, I don't want to live here and buy them and make them absolutely gorgeous to where someone walks in and goes, this is an amazing house. So you'd remodel and upgrade and, you know, make homes just kind of bring them to, to a modern age, right? Because a lot of the homes were older and maybe were purchased in a probate sale or distressed. Maybe it was a house that had had some big casualty, like even a fire or something like that. So I do know that world. You used to do the rehabs and then you would resell them 
and you know you'd make a profit now you you build you actually go in and it is new construction so do you still do some of the rehab and why that shift and what's the difference between those two worlds for you yeah great question flavia i hung up my rehab shoes for the most part about 7 years ago and the reason why is look there's lots of recipes to success in real estate there's lots of strategies and buying an, an older piece of property fixing it up and renting or selling it is a great way however when you start to do a large scale or aim to do more and especially working with clients where it's not just properties i own i'm now helping build portfolios for others you get a lot more sensitive to risk and to issues and what i found with doing a few thousand rehab properties you know old properties fixing them up or buying new, and now I've done a test phase of a few thousand new construction, there was just a difference in results. And one of the biggest difference in results was the three-year curse. And what is that? Well, what I found is I could get an old house and fix it up, do a new roof, new heating and cooling, new plumbing, update kitchens, baths, do a real nice job on it. For some reason, you know, by year three, I'd have to budget for higher maintenance and repairs. It just happened. With the new construction, which I've been now in almost for a decade, this three-year curse isn't set in on the properties, you know, we built almost a decade ago. And it's because we're building at higher standards to a different uh, a structural design with a different purpose where, you know, you'll never see us use carpet in any of our houses ever. If I could take back all the ways that I use carpet, I'd own two other extra houses free and clear. That's how much I've spent on, on changing carpet in my rentals over the years. So we have little things that we've learned where we've been able to take them into these new constructions and start from the ground up without surprises. And anyone out there who's listening who has rehabbed old houses know there are almost always surprises and they're never usually positive. So I wanted less surprises and less headaches for our people and although I really appreciate, you know, the renovating of old homes and it really got me from near poverty to abundance, the new construction has been the 2.0. That's allowed me to go into better areas, better markets, do more volume that I could never have done for myself or our clients sticking with old rehabs. So how is the regulatory, like for someone who wants to come in and be a builder, is Florida a great place to build? I know California is generally just because no. of so much regulation, so much oversight, so many rules, laws, all that. So what? how do you compare Florida to the rest of the markets that you're familiar with? Well, two things I like about Florida. One, the landlord laws are a lot more friendly. And I, as a, as a real estate investor, I just want to go someplace where the landlord laws are fair. And if I think landlords may be looked at unfavorably, I'm avoiding that state. It's, it's just my personal rule. And that's why I'm in Florida. I think they have very favorable landlord laws. Also, yeah, getting building done is a lot easier. They are environmental. And, you know, we've had, you know, things that we've had to do differently to, to protect gopher tortoises and certain salamanders. And I'm, a, I'm an outdoor surfer guy, so I'm all for that. But I also think they're, again, reasonable and fair. And I think it's much easier to become a builder like we are in Florida, for example, than in California it's also a lot easier price point. Again, you know, for, for people leaving, let's say San Francisco and selling, I have a gentleman right now I spoke to yesterday. He's selling his townhouse near Cupertino, near the Apple headquarters for almost 1.4 million. Well, he's going to come down and buy three properties with us 
with that 1031 exchange money. And it just shows the dollars go a lot further, which shows you if the dollars go a lot further in, in the purchase, then it's also easier to build and you can build at cheaper prices. And for anyone listening who's thinking, you know, this sounds amazing. You know, it sounds better than maybe they, they're experienced investing in stocks or investing in themselves in a business that they started, but they've always dreamed of being a real estate investor. They just didn't really know which direction to go in or because there's so many different ways you can invest in real estate. But what does it take for a complete novice who has never invested in real estate before to consider this as their you know, entrance into this market and industry? Yeah, again, I always say like that property I bought 432 North M Street, it was the best lesson I ever I ever had. I got some proficiency in learning what numbers to look for, what areas to look for, and I pulled the trigger. I encourage people, start with one. You know, start with one property. And if you don't want to build your own property to start, then find a company like ours and let us build the property for you. Do your numbers, do your research, look at the, you know, history and case studies or you know, a, a history of, of, of the performance of the company and buy one and see how it goes. You're going to learn so much. And the odds are it's not going to retire you. It's also certainly not going to bankrupt you. And I'd say you're going to learn so much with that one. You might find, hey, I'd like to do more and, and hire someone out to build the property for me and management. You might be more hands-on and say, hey, I have a background in this. I really like this. I learned a lot. I'm going to build my own. And, and, and that has its own set of, of layout and, and process, but you can learn it. But I always tell people, start with one. That's where you're going to learn so much and it's going to help point you on to the next step. Do you have any other case studies of clients who have, you know, dramatically changed their lifestyle or, you know, ended up becoming kind of a serial investor over and over and over? What are some some stories you have of people whose lives you've changed by providing the service that you provide? Yeah, I feel very lucky that we've we've been able to create millionaires out of many of our clients because they've invested in us through the years. You know, I'll take take one of my my friends, Tom, Tom Tusanat, and he is going to be in my next book. Uh, Tom came to us managing a mortgage company. Uh, he owned a few rentals, but he wanted to be more hands off. His his wife was actually due to have a kidney donation. She was setting up for that, which is a major thing. And he said, you know what? I want to be with my wife, my kids, start to step away from my business. I don't want a lot of involvement. I don't want a second job. So Tom started investing with us. And within five years, Tom, and I, I share this on some of my presentations that I do, you know, sent me a text. We had stayed in good contact. I have a very deep history with kidney donations. I was honored to donate a kidney to my father 12 years ago. So I was able to really become friends with Tom, even though he's a client, give him some coaching on what they were about to go through, see them through, stay in touch. Our families became friends. And on the day of uh, my youngest daughter's birthday, I received a text from Tom that said, hey, I just want to let you know I, I retired from Fairway Mortgage today because he had an extra $14,000 a month coming in that was able to offset a lot of his needs. And he's former Air Force. He still flies his, his leisure plane and is traveling all over the country and all over the world with his children and wife because her surgery went well. And, you know, I have, I have the, the thank you notes to, to prove that. And it's, it's very rewarding when someone came to us for what they wanted and they got just that. That's a great story. 
I, I like, you know, especially when we're presenting this new possibility, new opportunity to people that they may have not thought of before. I like to also point out any risks or any sort of potential downsides. So for anyone that says, hey, I might want to buy some rental properties. And do you do just single family homes or are there any of them like multifamily, you know, apartment buildings, or maybe even just duplex, triplex, quads? What's your, what's your market? Our recipe is residential real estate, Flavia. So we do single family duplexes and quads. Uh, That way we're able to stick in the residential realm. Commercial has its own set of risks that I've always kind of avoided in my career. I've just always done volume of residential. And we stick with those those three recipes of single family duplex and quads. And also for that, something I haven't talked about, all of us in our world right now, Flavia, know that interest rates have been a pain in the neck for the last almost two years. And we decided to help our clients. We now actually have in-house financing. So where a lot of people on a duplex or quad are walking into a mortgage company and they're getting quoted eight and a half percent. With our in-house financing, we're getting our people locked in at 5.75, which makes a huge difference in their cash flow. So that's another reason why we stick to just these smaller residentials. By doing in-house financing, we're able to get much better rates for our clients, which obviously gives them much better cash flow right off the bat. And I want to point out, because a lot of people are like, well, I got you know a 3 4% mortgage for my home I live in. Let me just say that usually if you're buying an investment property, the interest rates are not the same as if you're going to live in a home. So you can't compare what the rate you just quoted. uh, I can say from being in the industry is for an investment property right now, unheard of. I I actually don't know any other. I personally don't know. I haven't heard rates that low. So that is, that's pretty amazing. And I think that probably has given you a leg up on attracting real estate investors to come your way because just that low cost of uh, debt is amazing. Yeah. And I think you bring up something interesting, Flavia. I think if anyone who bought three, four years ago, their home, they're sitting in a great interest rate. Congratulations. But I think they might get a little bit of sticker shock if they're just starting to look around, whether it's an investment property or, or a personal property to live in, you know, they're going to see not quite the rates they were getting back in, you know, 2019, for example. So what are the risks of investing in single family homes and duplexes and quads? You know, the biggest risks that I've seen is tenants. You want to make sure you know how to screen and manage tenants. Location is key. I'm a believer in buying in solid neighborhoods. If there's high crime and issue in the neighborhood, I just, it's too much work. I don't want to invest there. And also condition of the property. What I've seen really chew up and just mutilate new investors is buying a fixer-upper property that never stops needing fixing. And if it just, you watch these older properties that they underestimate the amount of maintenance and repairs needed, and it just consistently, month after month, bleeds them with one thing to the next to the next, and then they just surrender, give up, throw up the white flag, and sell the property at a loss. I find if people would look for just a property in a little better condition, in a better area, you know, and know how to screen the tenants and manage the tenants, a lot of that risk, again, cannot be completely taken away, but it can be minimized greatly. Great advice. Great advice. So more of your advice is in your book, Family Board Meeting. So what is the Family Board Meeting? What is the book about? What was the genesis of writing it? And, and where can people find it? 
Yeah, the family board meeting is more of an extension of the other side of my life where I I always said I wanted to be successful in business and successful at home. And unfortunately, getting into real estate young, I got I got to meet some of my heroes uh, at a young age in my early 20s. And, and I was really sad to see what happened behind the curtain truly with their personal lives. They had huge balance sheets, but very dysfunctional home lives and really non-existing family lives. And that scared me because I knew with my drive, ambition, initiative, that could be me. So I always had a goal to live differently, to have more of a, a legendary family life, if you will. And all that means is I got to spend time with my family when most people couldn't. I could do the things with them that most people wouldn't be able to do. And uh, that's what the book is about. It's about how do we stay grounded in our family life as we build our business or portfolio or career. And I give some simple frameworks and rhythms that were imperative to me staying grounded in my marriage, in the relationship with each of my five children, not just one of them. I am truly enjoying the time that we have together. And that's, you know, the, the tagline and the name of our company is 18 Summers. And the reason why is there was a study showing that the average person will spend 85% of the quality time they ever have with their children by the end of the 18th summer. When you stop and think, that makes a lot of sense. You know, they're off at that point to college or the military or some endeavor, you know, and your 20-year-old is probably hanging out with you a lot less than your five-year-old. So I tell people, if you've received that advice for these people you're you know, listening to this, to be the solopreneur, and, and some mentor has told you, hey, put your head down for the next 10 years make it happen, then get back to your family life. They'll understand. I think that is horrific advice. I don't think it has to do that. You can't sprint the whole way. You can't hold your breath with family and, and come back in 10 years and think things are going to be grounded and, and civil and connected. It just doesn't work like that. So my book is all about how to take these little breaks, how to have these real memory makers, even if you're short on time or money along the way. And that can rejuvenate you, give you more meaning and purpose, keep you going, and your family will be more supportive of what you're working on too. So that's what the book is about. We're very lucky that we had a lot of people support it. And, and also we were very surprised it went to the number one on Wall Street Journal. And I don't think it's because our writing was that good. I think the writing's good, uh, but it's the message. That's what's resonated with people. Where do people go to connect with you either about your book or to connect with your company to get into real estate investing in Florida? Yeah, if you want to look at a little bit of our, our kind of story of family and into real estate, we have a website called JJ Playbook that was written by my wife and I, Jim and Jamie. So it's called the jjplaybook.com. That talks about our journey into real estate, the principles we found to create the passive income that feeds our life, and also the business now we have that helps do the same for others. That's a great starting point. If you're interested in the book, The Family Board Meeting, it's at Barnes and Nobles. You can find it um, at uh, Amazon, anywhere really that big books are sold. And any parting words for all of us listeners, you know, solopreneurs who may or want to be solopreneurs, we're still kind of stuck in that corporate grind. But for anyone that's feeling discouraged or overwhelmed or up against the wall, what advice would you have for that person? My advice would be I have not met any entrepreneur who is unqualified for the beginning steps that they took. You might feel unqualified and you might be unqualified. That's okay. You might have to learn on your feet, learn as you go for a few things, but make sure you take proficiency in a subject. Again, pick a direction, get proficient in it and take action. 
Again, I know people that went to that first real estate class with me 24 years ago. They're still learning about to pull the trigger on their first deal. And that's really sad for me. Uh, but you will be underqualified. That's okay. Still take the risk, get proficiency, move forward, take action, and aim for one direction. It might not be real estate. It might be something else. But you, the people I've seen who are the most success take a deep dive in one direction so that they can be the best they can be at it. Jim, as always, amazing advice. It is so great to have you here on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. I know your time is valuable, but the message you share helps so many people. So thanks for all that you do. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. And I hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you leave a review on iTunes, I promise I will read every single review. If you know someone who makes a full-time living from part-time work, and maybe this is you, please visit lifestylesolopreneur.com to nominate a guest or to nominate yourself. Because remember this, money doesn't buy happiness, but money in the hands of a happy person, there is no greater tool. Today's episode was brought to you by the Get Shift Done program. It's a lifestyle changing online class to help you define your business and lifestyle ambitions and to set goals in a way you've never experienced before. This class will 10X your daily productivity with methods that will blow your mind. And if you use the coupon code podcast, the class tuition is 99% off. Visit GetShiftDone.com to enroll today.